I suppose that for most grandchildren of any law enforcement officer, whether it be a police officer or sheriff, uh, sheriff's officer or a, a highway patrolman, or in my case, a constable, I assume that all of us grandchildren of these people, um, there's some things that we are used to. For example, we are used to being threatened with handcuffs. Yeah, we're used to going to Grandma's house every summer and somewhere in that time together, at least once or more, you'd get asked the question, do I need to get the handcuffs? Because we will put you in the back of that car and take you in if you don't straighten up. Yeah, you laugh, huh? You didn't have to be at grandma's house. You could be in your own house miles away, states away. And mom hands you that phone. Hello? Do I need to come get you? Put you in that car with my handcuffs? And apparently the same is true, uh, the same concept works for all local officials as well. See, you think they're working for you, but apparently they're waiting for my grandma's call to come get me if they need to. Something else I remember um, about the grandma's house and being, being in there is there was always, day or night, doesn't matter, there was always a CB on. The CB radio was always turned on. And you could be watching TV, you could be laughing, having a good time, and you'd hear the background. And you'd hear it over and over and over. Sometimes, hey, let's sit together and let's listen to the CB together. So as a kid, I'd go with everybody, and I'd sit and I'm thinking, I remember thinking, it's the most boring thing in the world. But yet they would sit and listen. They weren't just sitting around waiting and listening to that. They were sharing time together. Or if it was time to do something else in the house, you would. But you're always listening to what's going on around you. Always waiting to hear what's happening in the world around us. Now, Philip was one of Jesus' disciples. Someone who walked with Jesus, heard Jesus speak. Someone who I think was pretty excited about Jesus. In fact, when Jesus first called him to be a disciple, he ran to another would-be disciple and says, He's here! The one we've been waiting for ever since Moses. He's here! Jesus of Nazareth! And the other guy says, What? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says, Come and see! So they go and Jesus says, Yeah, I'm here and I want you to follow me. In fact, you think you're seeing something amazing right now? You just wait. Because you will see even greater things. And so those disciples walk with Jesus. And I think they see great things. They hear amazing things. They are a part of amazing things. All of which have brought them together one last night to spend with each other. This night they have shared a meal and... Jesus has offered them bread and cup, saying that this is his body and his blood. And after that, he surprised everyone by getting down on the knee and begins washing 
everyone's feet. And then he starts talking about, it's time for me to leave. Where are you going? You can't go anywhere, Peter would say, and some of the other ones would probably add in as well. Well, I must go, Jesus says, because this is part of why I'm here. I have to go so that you can be ready. And then Philip speaks up. Maybe feeling kind of good about himself. I don't know. He understands if Jesus has to go do something, then Jesus has to go do what Jesus has to do. But Jesus, if you would, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Show us what God looks like and we'll be okay. You ever hear your kids say something you're like, really? Did you just say that? Me neither. No. <laughs> you want to see the Father, Philip? Really? Where have you been all this time? Have you not walked with me? Did you not count all those people there who got fed off of fish and loaves? Did you not know the people who were once blind but were given sight? Did you not see all those people who were healed? What do you mean, show you the Father? The Father has been right in front of you all the time. And you're not satisfied with that? You want more? You feel like you have to see more? What more is there to see? You've seen God seeing me. Now, part of what we know and what we understand when we read through these gospel accounts, as we hear of Jesus choosing his disciples, as we hear of the disciples walking with Jesus, conversing with Jesus, one of the things we realize is we are those disciples. In so many ways, people that Jesus chose to follow him, they represent us. You know, whether it's Peter putting his foot in his mouth or losing faith in himself. Whether it's Thomas, who has just a few reservations about this whole Easter business. Or whether it's Philip. Maybe thinking he's asking a good question. You know, just, hey, let us see God. What does God look like? But not realizing that God has been in front of you the whole time. We are that disciple, aren't we? We have to be that, that disciple because, you know, sometimes people will come into the office or sometimes people will talk about churches and maybe you've heard this said about uh, a church before. It doesn't matter where we've been, what region of our state, what church is that. You, you hear somebody say, well, I had to leave that church because I wasn't being fed. Really? You weren't being fed. That's kind of mean, but I have to give you the, the image that always comes into my mind when I hear that. But I'm just going to do that. We practice forgiveness and grace, don't we? But when I hear somebody say, I'm not being fed, what I think of is somebody sitting in a chair and someone else sitting in front of that person. God's feeding. 
God is around us. God is moving. Don't blame God. And don't be so quick to blame the church. Either. There's more that can be said about that, but then, you know, people also come in as well and say, I just, I can't feel God anywhere. I don't feel like God has done anything for me lately. I can't see that God's been at work at all. Okay. You might want to go. Make sure you're breathing. Go to your car. Turn on the air conditioning. Go home. Get comfortable in your comfortable home. And think about that some more. The reality, friends, is that God is not only all around us, but God is working. The only reason why you and I are here this morning is because God has been working in the world. Those disciples sat around, huddled in a room together, I think still fearful for their lives, worried about what would happen to them, handcuffed by their anxiety, knowing for sure that someone was coming to get them the same way they came and got Jesus. But then something happened. Something happened and they realized that God was indeed working in the world. God came in a very, very particular way. A very powerful way. And those disciples were never the same. Neither was the world. And what you and I, I think, have to realize now, we're so removed from that event. It's an event. Sometimes we look at it. Well, it's something that happened. It's something we celebrate. We don't quite know what it means. Pentecost, what in the world? But as you and I sit here this morning, this is what I want you to take in about remembering Pentecost and what it means for you and I. God is working all around us. God is here, we like to proclaim. God showed up at Pentecost in a very big way. And sometimes in our lives, God shows up in very big ways as well. There are moments sometimes we can look back and say, I know that God was right there. How could I ignore that? But as you keep reading through Acts, you realize that Acts begins with this great event. But then there's a whole lot more other events that happen. That on the surface don't seem quite as big. There's no flames. There's no wind. There's no drunken verbiage coming out. But there are things that are happening. These disciples were so fearful, so worried, are now speaking up to thousands of people about the grace and the love of God. Philip would go on and he'd meet an Ethiopian eunuch, if you remember that story. It would take time to read faith with him. Gentiles were being baptized in the faith. People were being healed. This message of God's love and mercy was being spread out. Sometimes in the very big event, but quite often in the little event that was happening in place, in place, in place, in places, 
over here, over here, over here, and all around. Friends, I want you to, to be able to affirm for yourself that God is working. Because this world is too stressful, our problems are too real, and our fears can feel too real as well to think otherwise. You have newspapers. You look at the news. You know what's going on in the world. I can take anybody who thinks they're having a good day and show them story after story after story after story after someone suffering pain. Because it's all over. It seems overwhelming. It seems like we can't do anything about it. And if that's what we're going to look at first, I think we're setting ourselves up. But if we can learn to see and to recognize all the places here and here and here and here that God is working, we begin to see things differently. We begin to see that God is working everywhere. We need to know that, friends. And we need to live into that. We need to thank God for those big moments in our faith that show us God's power, that remind us of God's grace. And I think we need to thank God for those things that happen every single day to us that maybe seem small and insignificant. But when you recognize that it's part of God's power at work, they become meaningful Reminders of who God is. We have to be willing to learn to see God working all around us. So take a quick survey of your life right now. You know what you're going through. You know what you're dealing with. You know what's coming up for you and your family. You know what stresses you out. You know what burdens you're dealing with. You know what complications you have that you think no one else is going through. You know what your life is made up of right now. By themselves, those things could bring us down, down, way down. But if we can begin to see that God is doing something even in, within those circumstances, we can begin to see God's power in a different way. We can begin to see that what happened at Pentecost is not just something that happened at Pentecost 2,000-something years ago, but it's something that can happen every single day for us. Because God hasn't changed. God hasn't gone anywhere. God's power hasn't dwindled at all, friends. God is still God. And just like those disciples, those disciples who look so much like us in many ways, we can often be handcuffed by our fear, our worries, our burdens, our circumstances. But if we can see God's power at work, just think what we could do. Just think what God could do, just like God did at Pentecost. So, we need to pray, because often, all we can see is what's troubling us. All we can feel are 
is what's burdening us. We need to be able to see the power of God all around us. And if you want to learn to see that more, then let's pray. Oh, gracious God, since the beginning, we declare your power was at work in this world. And as we begin to think of the many ways you have touched the lives of your people, and the many ways you have transformed hearts and brought change, change to us, we know that you are still at work. So help us, God, to be able to see your power in the world around us to be able to find examples of what you're doing and to hold fast to the promise that you are doing something new in us as well. Give us faith, God, to believe that the power you demonstrated at Pentecost so many years ago is the same power you give to us today. In Jesus' name.